At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Overflow, From Him, Through Us, For All, as we explore Paul's letter to the Church of Corinth. Together, we'll focus our attention on the gifts of God and see that we're not meant to keep His blessings to ourselves, but to live as vessels of His abounding grace. probably been thinking, and you probably have in the past, if someone gave me a million dollars, boy, if I had a million dollars, if only I, I would do this, this, this. And seriously, it would kind of overflow into the rest of your life and what you do and who you are and maybe change your perspective on things. And uh, you would probably want to be generous. But let me ask you, let me turn it a little bit. Because you've been given, given the grace of God, now, what are you going to do with that gift that he's given you? And, you know, we start a new series this week, uh, this weekend, uh, about that very thing. It's, it's, it's called overflow. Overflow from him through us to all. So just how that grace passes on through all of us. And the text that we're using uh, here for the next few weeks is from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And... Um, there were probably four letters that were that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church by God's uh, sovereign preservation. We have two, what we call 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. But let me give you just a quick overview. So just kind of set the context. 1 Corinthians was dealing with a lot of issues. Corinth was, uh, the Corinthian church was, was not perfect. It had its issues, just like any church, including ours. But he starts off with the whole idea of, look, there are these factions in the church. Someone saying, I'm, uh, I'm of Paul, uh, you know, I'm of Apollos or Cephas or Peter of Christ. That would be like us saying, hey, I'm of Chris Brooks or Doug Schmidt, our former senior pastor, or uh, Billy Creech, our campus pastor of Christ. We know that the focus has to be upon Jesus Christ himself. When we get to 2 Corinthians, there's a whole set of different issues. There were these false teachers that had uh, risen up out of the church, and they were challenging the authenticity of Paul's message, of who he was as an apostle. And Paul had obviously concerns about this. Uh, there was an offering or a free, a free will offering, if you will, that was being generated for the poor and starving people in Jerusalem. You remember back in Acts chapter 11, uh, Agabus, a prophet, he said, look, there is going to be a famine in the land. And sure enough, under the reign of Claudius, uh, the emperor, uh, drought came, there was famine, and it seemed like the church in Jerusalem was suffering the most. And so Paul was concerned that these false prophets we're going to derail that whole relief gift that was supposed to be going to the church in Jerusalem. And so instead of trying to guilt people into giving, Paul used the, the gospel to focus on what Christ has done and then how that overflows and how we respond uh, to others. And so we pick that up in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And you, we see that the grace received is grace given. So if you, wanted to, if you have your Bibles, you want to turn there, uh, first, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 
Uh, if you don't have a Bible, the uh, Bible rack in front of you is page 967. You can pick up uh, with us there. But let me just read the first two verses. In those two verses, we see that grace overflows regardless of our circumstances. Here's what he says. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. And that word grace, we're going to see that probably 10 times, 8 to 10 times in just these two chapters in different noun forms. But he says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in severe tests of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed into a wealth of generosity on their part. First, that grace overflows in our our lives, regardless of circumstances, no matter what is happening to our lives. And Paul brings it into focus with these churches in Macedonia. Let me look at this map here, and that'll kind of give us a little bit of an idea, help you to see what we're talking about here. First of all, this is the third missionary trip, and and 2 Corinthians is kind of set in that context of that uh, going to happen as he comes there. But in the second missionary trip, uh, the Apostle Paul, Dr. Luke, Silas, uh, that whole group of companions in the gospel, were traveling through what we call Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey. And as they made their trip along the coastline, they come to Troas. And their intent was to go east into Bithynia. But at night, Paul has this vision. He has a dream. And there's this man of Macedonia who says to him, come over and help us. And Paul was impressed upon that because the Holy Spirit revealed that to him, that he was not to go east, but that he was to go west. And as you read the book of Acts, you see that they crossed over and they stop in the Philippi. They go into Thessalonica, they go to Berea. And there were those believers that first heard the gospel. Uh, We know that Lydia, there in Philippi was the first believer uh, on the European continent, uh, as it's described there in the book of Acts. The Bereans, you may remember what was said of them, where it says the Bereans were more noble in that they investigated, they dove in to the scriptures to see that what Paul said was indeed the truth. And so you see this group of believers, not without fault, But yet you see that they were a strong group of people and Paul referred to them uh, with their spiritual blessings, that grace that they had received that overflowed into their giving. And that word overflowed is just simply gives us a sense of of degree. Uh, Think of it as a, uh, and we've all done this, I'm sure, where you have a glass of water or or you're pouring pop or coffee, whatever it is, and you pour it in and maybe you're distracted for a moment, and the next thing you know, it's overflowing onto the counter or the table. That's kind of a picture of what we're talking about. It overflows to the point that it's affecting other people and in their lives. Uh, Their apprehension or their, yeah, their apprehension of the grace of God in their afflictions overflowed around and over in their giving. Uh, David Orland, uh, he's a commentator on this book, uh, this letter of 2 Corinthians. He says this, In the New Testament, the Christian's experience of joy has no correlation to his or her outward circumstances. Paradoxically, 
Christians can experience joy in the midst of great persecution and personal and personal suffering. Even in their, as Paul's words, in their extreme poverty, they were not without effect from this famine. In their extreme poverty, it overflowed into their giving. Um, those circumstances didn't matter. And when we think about this, think about what Christ did for us and the gift of grace that we have in, in our lives and how the gospel came to us. Matthew says this, the gospel of Matthew chapter 8, 20. He says that the son of man, the son of God, had no place to lay his head. He was not rich. We think about uh, Isaiah 53, who was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Um, he took our affliction. He took our pain. Uh, when we looked at Good Friday last week, we saw that it was not Jesus' best life now. He was suffering. It was a day of suffering, a day of agony, a day of death. But yet he did that for us. He suffered for us. Romans 5.8 says this for us. God shows his love for us. Get these words. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us. That pain, that suffering overflowed to us for our behalf. And, you know, sometimes we link generosity so often to our, our circumstances, don't we? Um, boy, I didn't get the tax return I thought I was going to get. Or maybe I didn't get that raise. Or maybe, you know, the list is endless. But we see from these believers here that despite the circumstances, um, they gave. They gave out of their poverty. They gave what God had given them and above that. Not only we do, know, do we know that uh, we've received God's grace in its overflow regardless of circumstances, we know we've received God's grace when grace overflows beyond its limitations. I love these verses because you can just see the step of their commitment from one level to the next to the next. Listen to what he says here. Verse 3, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor. There's that word favor. is one of those forms of the, of the word grace. Of taking part in the relief of the saints. Did you see it? The different levels? First they gave, uh, first they, they gave according to their means. It was kind of what was expected. You know, I've got 10 chickens, I'll give you one. That's my 10%, right? Uh, that's what was expected of them. But then they take another level here. Second, they gave beyond their means. Here's a deeper form of generosity. Uh, another translation of that could be that they gave according to their ability and then beyond their ability. They gave generously. They gave beyond that. And then third, they gave of their own accord. So they weren't watching a three-hour telethon uh, trying to gain gifts. They weren't listening to WJR's radiothon uh, for the heat and heating fund. Uh, 
And don't get me, those things aren't wrong. But they didn't have to be coerced to give. They gave of themselves. They gave according to their ability, above their ability. Uh, they just gave beyond measure. And then they said of their own accord, but then listen to this last one. They said, they said that they were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part. That's like Billy just talking about, you know, by Tuesday, everything being fully funded. But then someone coming and saying, hey, look, I, I still, I want to give. There's got to be a place. Please let me give. And then that gift is given beyond the measure of what was originally planned. Uh, folks, there was no limit there. They gave beyond. They gave the, the grace received as a grace given. They were begging for that opportunity to, to be generous. We saw that years ago. Um, maybe I've heard about our Thailand orphanage, how our people uh, were presented with the need. And within like two weeks, our people gave, I, I, it's like $350,000, $400,000. And they weren't these like large gifts. They were just a lot of small gifts, but our people were generous and they gave toward that. It just overflowed. Look at what Christ did. Jesus, gave, Jesus' grace to us was not limited. It was exhaustive. It was exhaustive, giving everything. Romans 8.32 reminds us of the very nature of God and how he gives. It says, he who did not spare his own son, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? There's that word again. Graciously give us all things. He did not spare his own son, but gave him. You know, some part of the reality of our day is that evangelical Christianity um, kind of mirrors what the world gives to different things. And, um, you know, different levels. But I, I like what um, Joel Belts, I don't know if you get World Magazine. I'd encourage you to get it. It's a news magazine with the Christian worldview. It's really, really good. Joel Belts uh, uh, founded the World News Group in 1986. And uh, he doesn't write a lot of arg uh, articles right now. But he does write a, every week, and this is this week's edition, he does write these um, opinion pages, uh, just a short uh, article. But he writes this one, it says, we can't count, that's the name of the article. A primer on numbers helps us more with more than just math. And it also says, it's just not those great big figures that expose our culture's numerical illiteracy. But listen to what he says about evangelical Christianity and how we give. He says, it's historically the case, for example, that God's kingdom work has typically been funded by the weekly 10% of earnings offerings of God's people. Now, however, that principle largely has been lost to our culture. Most people today are as ignorant of tithing as they are of how many zeros are in a trillion. And the best reporting I've seen among those who call themselves evangelical Christians suggests that only a relatively few people give regularly and that, what, and that what's given comes to a level closer to 3% than 
than to 10. Did someone utterly fail to teach them how to count? It just brings into perspective what is happening in the, in the church today. Um, you know, what did Christ do? What did the Lord do? He gave himself. God gave of his own son, didn't spare him, but that, we might, that he might graciously give us all things. Um, has the love of God in Christ captured your heart uh, enough to overflow the limitations of your life? Um, grace does that, doesn't it? It makes it different. A final way that we know grace has been received is when grace overflows to the giving of ourselves, verses five and six. Let me, let me read those to you. He says this, and this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. There's our word again. Can you imagine Paul and his companions, uh, the surprise that they had to see how these Macedonians gave. Uh, there was above what was expected. They gave more than what they perhaps should have given. They gave above their ability. Uh, they were begging to give more. They gave of their own cord. And now it says they gave of themselves. They were fully in. Their gift was not as expected. Paul and his companions were blown away by the generosity of the Macedonians. And so Paul is using this example of their generosity to the Corinthians to say, look, look what they have done. Now what will you do? But first of all, give of yourself. You have to give of yourself. Um, Dave Ortland, another commentator on this passage, he said, of course, it's not just monetary financial, it's giving of themselves. He says this, yielding oneself to God is the fundamental prerequisite to sacrificial self-giving to others. Without the vertical handing over of oneself, all horizontal handling over of oneself is empty Phariseeism, done out of the insincerity or hypocrisy or for show. Think of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 3. You remember the love chapter, chapter 13. He says, if I give all of my possessions, if I give my body to be burned, it counts as nothing unless I have what? I heard it. What was it? Love. Love. It was that love giving, to, giving himself to, to God first. Jesus, you're in, in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36, uh, the context was that the, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, uh, they were challenging him. And one of them, a Pharisee, a lawyer, said to Jesus, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your might, or your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. He was challenging the vertical relationship that we have to have with God. We have to give ourselves to him. But then it continues. Jesus said, then the second commandment is that you should love your neighbor as yourself. 
Upon these, all the law and the commandments hang upon those two, those two commandments. So the vertical that has to take place, the horizontal. But once the vertical is in place, that will flow out on a horizontal plane to the giving of ourselves to, to each other. In fact, I love what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, where he was talking again about, about gifts and the importance of each one and how we as a family give to one another. He says in that passage in chapter 12, he says, the head can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. Folks, we need each other, right? We give to one another because of what God has done in our lives through his grace and pouring that out up, up, upon us. Paul wants to spur these Corinthians uh, to the same kind of generosity of grace. And he tells them that's why he urged Titus to give to him. For several years, I was involved with a ministry at Troy called Celebrate Recovery. And uh, it, it had had the recovery principles. They used that acrostic of recovery and they kind of um, mirrored that with the 12 steps, um, the 12 steps of AA and ASA, all those different recoveries. Um, but the first recovery principle was the R. And that is realize that I am not God, that my life is unmanageable and I'm powerless to control my hurts, habits, and hangups. Coming to a point, self-awareness, this is who I am. The E was earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him, and that he has the power to help me change. The C of recovery was to consciously choose to turn my life and my will over Christ's care and control. And I would, as I taught those principles, I'd say, look, folks, if we don't get these first three right, especially the third one, everything else in our recovery is, you know, it's, it's wasted because we really didn't get the first steps right. So in realizing who we are, that, that by nature we are children of wrath, that we are in sin, that this is who I am. But God, as we read right, right here, while we were yet sinners, God sent his son Christ to die for our sins. He became a ransom for us. And then where we consciously choose to make that decision. For some of them, for some, it's, it's the first time, it's the time they maybe had never heard the gospel, but they realized that they had to trust Christ and that made the difference in their lives. Or perhaps they already had, and now they had to give their lives over to Christ to serve him. And so we see the same thing here with these, with these uh, Macedonian believers. And Paul says, look, you've got to give of yourself. You've got to turn your life over to him. Um, you know, how have we done that? Or have we even done that? And so it motivates us. Um, for, this is the third time that Paul uses that uh, word grace, uh, that, uh, that form there in these two verses. It's a grace that motivates. It's a grace that gives. And it's a grace which, in which to participate. That is through our giving of our, ourselves. We have to again see Jesus here. He didn't send a surrogate to, to do what he accomplished on the cross. He gave himself. 1 Timothy 2.5 declares this, for there is one God and one medi mediator uh, between God and men, 
That is the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for many. Uh, he was the one who gave. And so he uses that, uh, the, the life of Christ, to teach the Corinthian believers, look, give of yourselves, turn yourself over. And I guess it kind of begs a question for each one of us. Uh, you know, have you experienced that saving grace that Jesus offers to us. Um, you know, we never know what, you know, people that come to visit us. And maybe it's the first time they've ever heard the gospel. And maybe this is the first time you've kind of heard about this and you're thinking, well, I don't know. What is the saving grace of Christ? It's where Jesus gave his life for us that we might through him have eternal life because of who we are in our, lost, in our lost condition. God's grace is there to save us through Jesus and what he did. Maybe you've trusted Christ and you're at a point where you need to say, look, Jesus, I'm yours, all of me. I'm not gonna hold anything back. All that I have, my time, my talent, my treasure is yours. I, I just love how some of these projects come up and our men and women give their time to build furniture for our kids. They give their talent. Uh, man, I'd be working one of those saws and I'd just rip it to pieces. I, tell, I used to work as a rough carpenter and I'd say, look, if I'm building something, if I can adjust it with a sledgehammer, we're good, right? But you have people that are giving their talent giving their time, but then also their treasure. You know, the Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. it, it it's, it's all his. So let me ask you a question. You know, have you received that gift of grace? Uh, have you seen that at work in your life? Have you given yourself to Christ to be used of him? And as we do that, folks, it's, it's going to overflow to each one of us because of the grace of God that he has placed in, in each one of us. I challenge you today to do that. You know, if you don't know Jesus, uh, I'll be here afterwards and several others that would love to be able to share with you how you can know Christ and know the eternal life that he offers uh, because of what he has done for us. Hey, let me pray as we close. Father, thank you for your just incredible gift of your son Jesus. And because of him, we can come before you in his name and call you father. Uh, that new relationship that we have and uh, because of him. Lord, I pray that as we think about what these people did, uh, Lord, their generosity, first of all, in giving themselves, but then in giving their resources, their time, their talent, their treasure to be able to serve you and to be used of you in the lives of so many people. Lord, I pray that here at our campus and all of Woodside, but at our campus, that people would see us and, and just see Christ and know that, wow, this is a place where God is and they would want to know Jesus and his saving, saving grace. Lord, thank you for just our time here today, our worship. Lord, as we come together, we ask that uh, 
Lord, that you would uh, just use us in the week ahead. In Jesus' strong and mighty name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.